0: Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Lednicki, for those kind words and good morning. I better try that again. Thank you. Good morning. good morning. It is a high honor for me to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this for some time and seeking God that He will pour out His Spirit upon us this week and throughout this year. It is always a, an awesome privilege. Uh, to stand behind the pulpit and uh, and to preach the word of God and I I am excited about uh, this privilege. Also want you to know that we are praying with you that God will pour out his spirit not only this year but especially uh, in the significant decisions that will be made. I know that God has has somebody that he's called and anointed and blessed and ready to come and and lead this great great ministry into the future should Jesus tarry our fellowship is deeply indebted to brother lednicki we highly love and respect he and his wife what great leaders they are and have been gifts to our fellowship and uh... we love you count you as friends thank you for this uh, tremendous uh, privilege i want to point your attention to one verse in genesis chapter twenty six uh, verse eighteen <clears throat> which will serve as the basis for the burden that God has laid on my heart for this moment. I've been praying with you that God will pour out His Spirit upon us these days and and also in the days to come, should Jesus tarry. Genesis chapter 26, one uh, brief verse, verse 18, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Lord, I pray that your hopes and dreams and aspirations for this service and our lives and this week and the days to come will be realized in us. What an honor it's been to worship and praise and adore you. And now, Lord, help us to hear from your word and be changed by it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Artful Eddie nothing. He was the slickest of the slick lawyers. He was one of the roars of the Roaring Twenties. A crony of Al Capone, he ran the gangsters' dog tracks. He mastered the simple technique of fixing the race by overfeeding seven dogs and betting on the eighth. Wealth, status, style, artful Eddie lacked nothing. Then why did he turn himself in? Why did he offer to squeal on Capone? What was his motive? Didn't Eddie know the surefire consequences of ratting on the mob? He knew, but he'd made up his mind. What did he have to gain? What could society give him that he didn't already have? He had money, power, prestige. What was the hitch? Eddie revealed the hitch, his son. Eddie had spent his life with the despicable. He had smelled the stench of the underground long enough. For his son, he wanted more. He wanted to give his son a name. And to give his son a name, he would have to clear his own. Eddie was willing to take a risk so that his son could have a clean slate. Artful Eddie never saw his dream come true. After Eddie squealed, the mob remembered. Two shotgun blasts silenced him forever. Was it worth it? For the son, it was. Artful Eddie's boy lived up to the sacrifice. His is one of the best-known names in the world. Had Eddie lived to see his son Butch grow up, he would have been proud. He would have been proud of Butch's appointment to Annapolis. He would have been proud of the commissioning as a World War II Navy pilot. He would have been proud as he read of his son downing five bombers in the Pacific night and saving the lives of hundreds of crewmen on the carrier Lexington. The name was cleared. The Congressional Medal of Honor which Butch received was proof. When people say the name O'Hare in Chicago, they don't think of gangsters. They think of aviation heroism. Isaac enjoyed a wonderful heritage. His father was a friend of God, a man of faith, vision, a worshiper. Early in life, Isaac decided that the God of his father was indeed worthy to be loved, honored, respected, and served. One of the qualities that distinguished Abraham was his expertise at finding water. Any visitor to Israel is impressed that water means life. That is what Isaac needed. His situation was desperate and urgent. But he knows precisely what to do. His father had been there ahead of him. And the verse we read tells us that Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Our need is just as urgent. We, too, have a wonderful heritage. We were born in the fires of revival. About 11 years ago now, our fellowship decided to believe God for the greatest end-time harvest our world has ever known. We called those hopes and dreams the Decade of Harvest. We had wonderful desires to enlist one million prayer partners to reach and win 5 million people for Christ to train and disciple 20,000 people for ministry to establish 5,000 new churches. In 1989, General Counsel, our General Superintendent, Brother Carlson, held high a torch inaugurating this thrust. He proclaimed the 20th century has seen the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit in all of history. Multiplied millions have experienced a personal Pentecost. The 16th century was marked by Reformation. Centuries 18 and 19 saw the great awakenings through the ministries of men such as Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, D.L. Moody, and Charles Finney. But the current century has ushered in with with the beginnings of a Pentecostal revival which has since circled the globe. Now, as the century is about to close, he said, we stand on what could be the greatest outpouring of latter rain of all times. In 1993, Brother Trask became our general superintendent. His first priority was to call us to be Pentecostal in our worship, prayer, fasting, and preaching He infused in our fellowship a sense that we need God to move in our lives, churches, and ministries. We recognized again that we cannot survive without an ongoing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Praise God in His sovereignty, mercy, grace, and love. God has been showering His blessings upon us. And while all of the bold hopes and dreams for the decade of harvest were not realized in our fellowship, we did experience some wonderful, charismatic moments and And we know that God began to move in various ways in different places. And we saw things at the Toronto Blessing and the Brownsville, Smithton, and Grand Rapids revivals. And with all of those things that were happening, we began hearing reports in Michigan of church after church in revival. Children and youth were crying out to God in repentance. Believers desperately wanted God to change them. Our churches were experiencing powerful worship. A spirit of intercession was gripping our assemblies. There was a renewed emphasis on the role of the evangelist. There was a longing to linger in God's presence. There was a hunger to be holy and and people were being saved. We were hearing the words of John Wesley to his ministers. You have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And go always, not only to those who need you, but to those who need you most. God has called our fellowship to be a hospital room. Where the hurting, the poor, the bruised, the lonely, the down and out and the up and out come and they are saved and healed and transformed and delivered by the power of God. We hear it in the words of Jesus. He said, this is why I've come. The spirit of the Lord is on me, he said, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Hallelujah. Revival moves like any blessing are a test. Will we be faithful? Can we remain humble? Do we continue to seek God with the same or increasing intensity and fervor? Is there a growing hunger and thirst for God's spirit? Is our focus on holy living, loving Jesus, and reaching a lost world? Are we sensitive to and discerning of God's voice? Do we maintain a penchant for repentance? While some of the intensity of those days has waned and there is an ebb and flow to God's movements, I am delighted to report that from my perspective there is a lingering sense of God's blessings and presence in Michigan. Lasting changes have impacted us in our worship and our commitments to change the world, a yearning desire to please God and love Him and serve. Our generation has deepened in our leaders and our people. Hallelujah. The assemblies of God, we are in our third generation. We have all heard the dire warnings that for most churches it marks the beginning of decline. Organizations, we are told, have the nasty habit of becoming institutions. And institutions have the tendency to fade into irrelevance. Movements become monuments. Inspiration becomes institution. We we would do well to heed the words of Richard Wilkie, a United Methodist bishop, in his courageous book, Are We Yet Alive? He says, and I quote, Our sickness is more serious than we first suspected. We are in trouble. We thought we were just drifting like a sailboat on a dreamy day. Instead, we are wasting away like a leukemia victim when the blood transfusions no longer work. Once we were a Wesleyan revival full of enthusiasm, fired by the spirit, running the race set before us like a sprinter trying to win the prize. The world was our parish. We were determined, quote, to publish the glad tidings in the full light of the sun. Our Wesley-inspired dream and directive was to spread scriptural holiness across the continent. Circuit riders raced over hill and valley. New churches were established in every hamlet. Our missionaries encircled the globe. Now we are tired, listless, fueled only by the nostalgia of former days, walking with a droop, eyes on the ground, discouraged, putting one foot ahead of the other like a tired old man who remembers but who can no longer perform. He proceeds to portray a once vigorous church experiencing a decline in attendance, membership, closing more churches than it is opening, a church turned inward, Pastors who spend 97% of ministry time on nurturing and only 3% on reaching the lost. He describes a shift to social service rather than a focus on preaching the gospel with little or no accountability to grow from church leaders. God has blessed the assemblies of God. We have and continue to experience phenomenal growth worldwide. Yet at home, warning signs are on the horizon. Our fellowship in the United States has unfortunately been predominantly white. Praise God, that is changing. We have reveled in healthy growth in Latin, African American, Korean, Samoan, mong you can you can name the list it goes on and on a host of churches when you consider that since 1965 the united states has been absorbing 1 million newcomers a year it is as it should be today 1 in 10 residents is foreign born 1 in 7 persons has no roots in this country prior to 1965 one in seven Americans speaks a language other than English in the home. If it were not for these churches, the assemblies of God would show a decline in the United States. Every year for the past 10 years, we have had a net loss in the number of predominantly white churches. It'd be marvelous if The reason for this statistic is these congregations have become so multicultural they are no longer majority white. That would be grand and glorious. Unfortunately, it is not. 50% of white churches have lost people, 50% of our fellowship changes every five years. For the last 10 years or more, the number of water baptisms and Holy Spirit baptisms have declined as a percentage. In churches that are mostly white, water baptisms to conversions is approximately 20%. In Latin and other minority churches, the ratio is 90%. Please do not misunderstand me. I am ecstatic at the increase in the number of our churches and people who are coming from the whole spectrum of the world of America. Thank God he's doing something in us that is long overdue. But our Lord, who, our Lord who wept over Jerusalem weeps over America and wants all to be saved. Jesus loves the red, the yellow, the black, and white. They are precious in his sight. My message is simple today. We can enjoy moments of revival more than that. We can launch out into the deep where we don't feel the ebb and the flow and the crashing of the waves. We can launch out into the deep of what God is doing. But I pray may that launching out, may that growth, may that anointing, may that revival include the historic churches and communities of the Assemblies of God in America. May we burn with Habakkuk's prayer, O oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. Please hear those words in the midst of years, in the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth generation. If our Lord tarries, may there be hot, fervent, growing revival in the assemblies of God. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise includes me, hallelujah. It includes my children, And my grandchildren, they can know God. They can have a first-hand revival experience, but I must dig the wells. I must keep the water flowing. Isaac discovered the wells his father had provided had been stopped up by the Philistines after he died when he was no longer present and active to keep them open and clean the enemy stopped them up there's a spiritual lesson the enemy in time will always seek to stop the flow of the Holy Spirit if godly leaders are not ensuring they stay open how do we do that how do we maintain a continual flow of life in our churches my plea is for praying people and passionate leaders paul said to timothy i exhort therefore that first of all supplications prayers intercessions be made notice the words first of all not second not third not somewhere down the line first of all jesus said my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. If we will humble ourselves and pray, if we will seek God's face, his anointing, his approval, his blessing, then life comes. God is the supplier of people's needs. He's the savior, healer, baptizer, and coming king. We need to know and experience him. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please Him, but them that come to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. My question is, what is the reward of those who diligently seek Him? Is it not Him? We find Him. We discover Him. Hallelujah. He's the one in whom we live and breathe and have our being. The essence of revival is a sovereign, transcendent, living God who in his eternal, glorious freedom acts, intervenes, and interferes with the life of the church and his people. He is a God who erupts. He acts. He moves. He comes breaking in on the scene. And that is precisely what we need. We need our pastors and our church leaders and I implore you develop that prayer life and when you enter those places of influence and leadership in our churches over the next few years, please by your preaching and your teaching and your modeling and the way you structure ministry and the way you schedule the time and the way you categorize your life, will you please equip and motivate and train and cajole and shout and push and and do all we can to encourage and see that our people are humbling ourselves we cannot make it in our own strength we don't have the wisdom or the resources we can't touch this world by ourselves and that we will pray and seek God for an ongoing move of his spirit and life if people are praying we will be in awe of God's holiness and we will be quick to repent we will hunger and thirst for righteousness We will yearn for God to be respected, honored, revered, and glorified. We will look at the needs of a lost world around us and at the needs of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and pray, here am I, Lord, send me. Let's be people of prayer. Second, may we be passionate leaders. Leadership is always the key. If God has called you to ministry, he has called you to be a spiritual leader. One of our most important roles as leaders is to be vision casters. We search God's word. We seek his face. We come to our pulpits and our places of leadership with a word of God burning inside. Our privilege is proclaiming to our people. This is God's will for us. These are God's hopes and dreams. There's so much more we can experience. There's so much more we can know. There's so much more God has for us. We don't have it all yet. And as we preach that word, faith builds in people's lives. And they say, yes, I can be more. I can achieve more. I can experience more. And they stretch and step out in faith. And God moves let us seek god let us tell people we can stretch we can take steps of faith we can invest our time our money our lives in building the kingdom we can make a difference but it takes a vision caster to put that hope and belief in people's hearts our people hunger for hope for vision for leadership to move them where god wants them to be in our world filled with strife Hatred Racism and malice we can call people to be peacemakers In our society of injustice we can make disciples of all races and by our strange Mixture cause the world to see a sign of the kingdom On a spinning planet where children bloat with from famine What an opportunity to draw people to Jesus who fed the multitude and brought children into his arms? In a culture where divorce is epidemic and boys and girls grow up in single-parent homes, what a thrill to introduce them to the one who turned water into wine at the marriage and is declared to be the husband to the widow and the father to the fatherless. In a guilt-ridden age, what a time to help folks experience peace at the foot of the cross. It is time to reach out again and leadership can make it happen. It is our task to cast vision. It's our job to help people see the priorities. Part of the miracle for the woman at Zarephath was that the oil flowed until every vessel was full. What a joyous and sad moment when she realized all the vessels were full and there were no more available. We must continue to reach empty vessels so the life of God can continue filling them. Bishop Wilkie said, many people believe our job is to run the church. That's why we are in trouble, just as the railroads are in trouble. Our job is not to run the church. Our job is to save the world. We need a new vision of mission And I pray, I pray that our young men and young women will have visions of a world transformed and that our old men and old women will dream of a church on fire. Our job is to save the world, to take the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. This must be our vision. We must mind the store. The times call for decisive and dramatic leadership. We do have a wonderful heritage we were born in the fires of Pentecost and Azusa Street. May we be born again in the fire falling from God today. The promise is for us and for our children. Dr. Maxwell Maltz described a woman who came to his office seeking help. Her son had moved away from their home in the Midwest to New York where Maltz had his practice. When their son was only a boy, the woman's husband died and she ran his business hoping to do so only until the son became old enough to take it over. But the son didn't want to be involved in it. Instead, he wanted to go to New York and study. She came to the psychologist because she wanted to find out why the son was behaving that way. A few days later, the son came to Maltz's office explaining that his mother had insisted on the visit. I love my mother, he explained, but I I never told her why I had to leave home. I've just never had the courage and I don't want her to be unhappy. But you see, doctor, I don't want to take over what my father started. I wanted to make it on my own. That's very admirable, Maltz said, but what do you have against your father? My father was a good man, and worked hard but I suppose I resented him my father came up the hard way and he thought he should be tough on me I guess he wanted to build self-reliance in me or something when I was a boy he never encouraged me I I can remember playing catch with him in the yard we had a game to see if I could catch 10 balls in a row and doctor, he never let me catch the 10th ball. He'd throw eight or nine to me, but he always threw the 10th ball high into the air or on the ground, someplace where I couldn't catch it. The young man paused for a moment and then said, he would never let me catch the 10th ball? Never. I guess I had to leave home in the business he started because somehow I wanted to catch the 10th ball. My message is simply this today I want to be a part of revival I want to experience God I want my life to count I want to dream great dreams I want to be a part of a growing church I want to impact the world I I want to believe that my life is making a difference but I don't want it just for me I want it for my children and my grandchildren I want Brad and Betsy to impact the world themselves. I I want them to experience revival. I want you to experience revival. But I want the generation you bring up after you to experience it also. I want you to do it in the assemblies of God. My mother, and I know that God has many works, and and I'm not trying to deify that, but that's the fellowship I'm a part of in love, and God's called me to it, and I want it to be alive. My mother left the Wesleyan Church when, we were, when I was little so she could experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't want my children or grandchildren to leave the assemblies of God to experience God's power. The Bible is about the future God said to Jeremiah for I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future it's always about what God is still wanting to do tomorrow and my plea is that you and I will raise up a generation of Pentecostal leaders fervent and hot in revival the assemblies of God desperately need you. I can tell you as a superintendent trying to help churches find pastors and pastors find team members, we need you. We, we welcome your life, your leadership, your passion, your faith, your vision, your idealism, your hopes and dreams and aspirations. We desperately need you. And we are excited as in the next few years you will assume places of influence as pastors, evangelists, missionaries, ministers to youth, children, education, ministers of evangelism, ministers of worship, and the list goes on. And I believe that God is going to anoint you to raise up a new generation of people You're going to raise up the young people in our churches and the children in our churches and and the adults as well. You're going to come in with a breath of fresh air and new life and new vigor. and, And we are going to dare to believe God for the impossible. We're going to ask God to help us hear the inaudible. We're going to be a people who are alive and fervent and Pentecostal and burning with the fire of God. And I pray that you'll catch a vision of that. We need to deliver this this fellowship we're a part of to the people after us. A fellowship that's alive and burning and fervent and Pentecostal and wanting to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus. Please do that. Please help us do that. We need you to do that. And I pray that when you step into our churches... You will step into churches that will welcome you because they are hot and fervent and alive and burning with Pentecostal fire and wanting God to move and bless and anoint. Let us be praying people. Let us pray and humble ourselves and seek God. And let us be passionate leaders. Please, please help us be what God wants us to be. Oh, God. God, I pray that you take this simple message and the burden that you burned on my heart and somehow impart it to us, impart it, Lord, in ways that I can't begin to speak it. But I pray that you will that you will infuse every student, every faculty member, infuse me, Lord. Infuse us all with a with a burning desire to know you and experience you and love you and to see you move and to work. God, may we see miracles in our day. May we see people being healed and saved and delivered in our day. May we see churches being planted and launched by pioneers in our day. God, may we see new missionary escapades in our day. Lord, in the second and the third and the fourth generation, you are the same, oh God. Lord, revive us in our day, I pray. Revive us, Lord. Revive us, oh God, in the midst of years, I pray use the students on this campus to do it Lord use us to do it Oh God In Jesus name amen I know it's 1130 and time for chapel to be done and some of you may have time that you can come and see God around these altars I'd invite you to do that this morning Could we take some moments if it's possible in your schedule to say oh God oh God move in my life the altars are open I'm finished with my ministry this morning. God bless you. Love you. Proud of you. Thank you. Hallelujah.